time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome into another edition of 5th Avenue Faceoff. I am your host, Chris Mack of the Fan Morning Show on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. And don't forget, wherever you're listening to this, you want to subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they are ready. If it's inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, you can take it with you wherever you go. Uh, Leave a rating and a review as well. Maybe you're watching on YouTube. In that case, I'm waving hello to you right now. And you can see that I'm lucky enough to be joined to start the show today by the great Albie Oxenreiter of WPXI Channel 11 Sports. Albie, thanks for uh, for checking in for just a couple of minutes. We've got a lot to dig into. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, no problem. Great to, great to see you and great to be with you today. I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, it's every time I, I, I get one of these fired up, I, I have no idea which direction we're going to go in because I have no idea which direction this team is going in. And here we are on a Friday afternoon looking back on Thursday night and another come-from-ahead loss to the New York Islanders, Um, and another blown lead. And that's where I kind of want to start things today is, what do we do with this team? You know, I I was arguing with people the other day about, well, should we be excited about the comeback over Columbus on Tuesday night, right? Down four nothing, and they come storming back. Um, Or should we be, uh, should we be down about the fact that, well, they were, down for nothing to start with and now here we are in reverse are we happy about the first 50 55 minutes of thursday night's game or are we more down and more disappointed about the way things worked out in the end and that they end up blowing another lead to another metro division opponent well chris let's start by saying i always believe that the season starts at at the trade deadline i I talked with this about uh, with phil bork about this um i think that teams you can do good. You can do bad throughout the season. You can you can have these periods where you seem to be sluggish. You can gain momentum. You can lose it again. But once the team gets to the trade deadline, that's when they really have to kick it up. And I, I'm paraphrasing what Sidney Crosby said the other day. He said, we have to put it in another gear and mm-hmm. or put our foot on the gas, something to that effect. And, and I think that that's exactly what the Pens have as of this as of uh, this conversation. Uh, the Pens have 18 games remaining. And listen, there's a lot of uh, elbowing for position. I feel generally positive about the Penguins in terms of where they are. I don't think they're going to be caught for that eighth spot. I could be wrong. Uh, you know, obviously there's some teams behind them. Florida is, is closest to them. Uh, but I think the Pens have enough of a, of a hold on that eighth spot that that they can maintain what they're doing now, even through performances that you talked about, you know, when you when you blow a lead uh, and they can still get that eight spot. I think uh, as, as of this conversation, you, you hit it on the head. Things change in a hurry with this team. But that's the good news that, that I think they can hold on to this eight spot. The bad news is, you know, if, if you're looking ahead, uh, they're going to have to face the Boston Bruins. And, and that's a, mm-hmm. that's daunting, to say the least. Um, Listen, I, I I think that trade deadlines are interesting because they they sometimes help a team. I think the Pens are maybe a little better than they were before. I don't think they're significantly better. Um, I, I think they've added some things, and we'll talk about Benino in a minute, that, that I think will help them. Um, and I think that he's at the top of that list. But you, you also have to 
uh, force yourself to, to get a new chemistry with new players in a, in a relatively short period of time. The playoffs start in about a month. The Pens have some time to deal with this, with what they're going to have going in. They have to learn to win with this team. They have to learn to get that consistency that they've, they, they've really had so much trouble gaining throughout the season. Every time they, they gain traction, it seems they lose traction. Inconsistency has been, has been the name of the, the, the label for this team. And they would be the first to say that, but um, we'll, we'll find out what they have in these final 18. We'll find out how these new players might help them. And certainly it all comes from the top with this particular team. And I know that you'll get uh, nothing but quality from Sidney Crosby. And it's, I think having Crosby and Malkin and Latang back was it, uh, well, Malkin and, La, and Latang back. We, we knew that Crosby would be back, but um, having those guys back together and keeping that core together, I think was, uh, in my opinion, important for this team, but it's what they do um, with the bottom six and, it, and it's what they do with uh, their defense. And it's what they do most importantly with goaltending. I think the goaltend you can talk about everything else, Chris, you can talk about uh, the bottom six. You can talk about consistency. You can talk about uh, toughness. Um, you can talk about the new players and what they might bring. Uh, but the most important thing, it all comes down to goaltending. And I think if Tristan Jari can dial it in uh, and if he can stay away from injury in this final month, then then the Pens will at least have a shot uh, based on where they are. Although then there's the problem of the Bruins, but that's not right. always a given either. So that's well, um, how I feel uh, post-trade deadline with these couple weird games uh, in there in the rearview mirrors. I'm glad you brought up Jari uh, because that's where I was going to steer the conversation next. And, and uh, it's, it's, the first couple of games after he came back, I think it was easy to look at and say, okay, he's got some rust to shake off. We get it. He hasn't played in, what was it? It was close to six weeks, I think it was. Uh, it had been a while uh, since he had seen regular work, certainly. And when he did get back out there, okay, we'll, sh- we'll, we'll, we'll give him time to shake it off. Well, it's been, he's had time to shake it off. And I don't think he's the main culprit, for example, uh, in that loss to the Islanders. I don't know if he's the main culprit even in going down for nothing to the Blue Jackets necessarily before he got yanked, but he is the goaltender in those situations. And we, we say this a lot. It It's not asking too much to ask a goalie to make a save every once in a while, to make a save that maybe he wouldn't ordinarily be asked to make because if they're going to go anywhere in the playoffs, he's going to have to make those on a more regular basis. So you, you just started to go down that road. How confident are you? that if Jari's the one between the pipes, not just down the stretch, but assuming they get into the playoffs, that he can do enough for them to maybe uh, forget getting through to the first, getting through the first round pass to Boston, for example, but, you know, to to make it competitive, uh, you know, to not get rolled in four or five games. Yeah. I think that you can, uh, generally speaking, you, you, after missing so much time and you talked about that six week stretch, he might have had one start in that six street six six week stretch. Um, I, I think you have to give him time to, to shake some of that rust off, and you have to. Um, he has to be the guy. You're talking about how confident am I? Well, I listen, Tristan Jari. I think has proven that he can make big saves. He's proven that he can carry this team. Um, but but I think his biggest problem to this point has been you're in, then you're out, and then you're in, then you're out. And I think in order for him to get that that consistency, that ingredient of what you need in a goaltender, um, he, he has to get the reps. He has to be in there. He has to play the games. And that's why I say if he's able to stay on the ice 
Um, I think having Jari between the pipes is, is a source of confidence for this team. I certainly think that they have bigger problems than Tristan Jari. I, I, don't, think, uh, I don't think that you can uh, discount this guy as someone who could, could carry the, every team that it seems that wins a cup. I mean, you might have a goal, big goal here or there, or you have a, a, a certain line that performs well, maybe special teams before performs well. But generally speaking, a team that wins the cup, a team that, that contends for the cup, uh, it comes down to who's, who's the goaltender for that team. And I believe that Tristan Jari can be that guy. So, yes, I am confident, um, assuming he can stay on the ice, that, that he can help the Penguins in that regard. I don't think that's the only thing with this particular team because I do think they're going to need to get more from the bottom six. You're going to need more from uh, just the, the, those the top couple lines. We, we know what you're going to get with Sidney Crosby and Gensel and Ricard Raquel on top. And, and, and listen, that second line, I think that everybody's confident that they can that, that they can continue to do what they've done. But it's the third line, it's the fourth line, and you know you get into the conversation of, of Nick Benino. I think Benino brings a whole lot to this team. I, I know that that's one way you want to go with this conversation. Um, we could talk about him. What are your feelings on Benino and, and bringing him back? Uh, a guy that fans loved to love in that in that uh, that cup run, that most recent uh, double cup run. Well, I, I get, I'm very guilty of nostalgia at times, Albie, but I will say this much the same way. My initial reaction to say, for example, the pirates signing Andrew McCutcheon was nostalgia. I then take a step back and I go, Oh, but wait, this guy can help them. And I th- I feel the same way. Not that it's on the same level yeah, uh, yeah. with Benino, right. but, but Nick Benino can help this. You see him last night, for example, in the game against the Islanders diving into the net behind Jari to try and ensure that pucks don't get across the line. That's as peak Nick Benino as you're going to find, right? That's exactly what they need from these depth guys is to go out there, fly around at 1,000 miles per hour, give themselves up. And look, there are guys that have been doing that all year. The Drew O'Connors of the world, for example. The Josh Archibalds of the world. The problem was that you didn't have the Kapanins or Carters or McGinn's of the world doing it all the time. Two of those names I just mentioned, no longer with the Pens. The third one, still not quite getting it done in Jeff Carter. And I don't know if... If Mike Sullivan and Ron Hextall have it within them to send him to the press box if they have to um, before the playoffs start, especially. I don't even know if they have the cap space to do it before the playoffs, to be quite honest. But that's the kind of stuff you need to win games in the Eastern Conference playoffs, to win games within the Metro division, to be quite honest. And this is a team that's won one game against a a present-day Metro division playoff team right now. They are 1-8-3, and I think it is, against... The Canes, Devils, Rangers, and Islanders. And they've got this stretch coming up, these three and seven days against the Rangers, where the Rangers have only gotten faster and stronger. And, you know, if you're going to prove that you can actually make some kind of noise come mid, late April and beyond, that you might be able to upset somebody in the first round and actually put a scare into the rest of the Eastern Conference field, this is a week where not only do you win the one against the Canadiens, not only do you wrap up the homestand strong, but you take at least two out of three from the Rangers and and maybe even all three. I don't think that's asking too much if you're really going to be a, a veteran team that proves they do know how to step on the gas, like you said. Yeah, I you know, playing the Rangers, I think it's three times in the next five games. That That's certainly a test. Um, and, and I think that that's probably good for the Penguins because you talked about the game the other night when they came back from four, nothing, they ultimately won it. But you, you ask yourself, wait a minute, you're down four, nothing to Columbus. Mm-hmm. And 
and I think that um, I think that the, the, the Penguins these games against the Rangers, for instance, and they have a I know they have a, a road trip uh, in their final eighteen games. I think they play Colorado, and yeah, there, there's going to be a good opportunity for to test themselves against teams. Uh, that that are uh, quality teams, teams that are that are up in the standings, playoff teams, and uh, you know w- when you look when you look at what the Penguins have done um, over the course of the last we'll say five years, and I, I think that fans are to the point where they you know expectations I think can be a team's worst friend. High expectations can be a terrible thing for any team, and I think that the Pens have the benefit of low expectations with all due respect to, to uh, the good things that they've done. There aren't many people in the fan base who are overly confident that they can go deep into the playoffs. And I think that that can be an advantage because sometimes if the expectations are low, then anything you achieve is going to be a bonus. Um, when you play these teams like the Rangers with uh, three times in a short period of time, it's going to give them an opportunity to see how they stack up against playoff teams. I think that um, in, in even though teams don't consciously turn on a switch when they're playing good teams, um, I think that, you know, they know. They know when they're playing a team that, that and, and the pride comes into play. And, and these are prideful guys. And, 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 and the Pens, through all their bad streaks this, this season, they, they followed them with, with good stretches. And most recently, they had the four-game winning streak. And I, I think that um, this is a team that, that from the very top, from Sidney Crosby on down, I'm talking about the players, they believe they believe they can do some damage in the playoffs. Um, the ownership group, um, Ron Hextall, Mike Sullivan, you know, straight down the, you know, Burke, Brian Burke, they, they, they brought back Latang and Malkin um, not only, as you mentioned, for nostalgic reasons, although that certainly comes into play because when you have great players like that, you want them to be Penguins. You don't want them to, to ever be anything but Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Penguins. But you also bring them back knowing that these are world-class players. Um, Genny Malkin is still a world-class player. Um, and, you know, there's there's so much talk about how old this team is. That's all you heard, you, you know through preseason and, and, and through the season, well, they've lost the step. And, and, and certainly they've shown that they sometimes uh, run out of gas or whatever you want to call it in the third period. They let, they let leads get away, but this is a prideful bunch. And I think that it's a talented team, um, older perhaps, but experienced. And I think that uh, getting coming from the top and those three players in particular, 87, 71, and, and obviously Latang uh, means so much to them in the psyche of this team. And bringing Nick Benino back, I think, helps in that regard. There's a difference between a veteran and, and a veteran leader. And I think Nick Benino is one of those guys, Chris, who can, um, he can stand up in the room and he can challenge his, his teammates. Um, he's confident. You know, you, you sometimes bring in, an, a vet, you bring in a veteran who hasn't been part of the Penguins. And, and maybe there's, they defer to Sidney Crosby or they defer to, to Evgeny Malkin, who leads in a, in a different way, perhaps, than Sid. Um, leadership is a funny thing. Leadership is you exhibit it in different ways. Some guys do it on the ice. Some guys do it with the way they talk. Sometimes guys do it with what they say to their teammates, how confident they are in the mm-hmm. way they carry themselves. 
These younger players feed off of that. Nick Bonino, in my opinion, he's he's the he's the tra- the uh, the deadline deal that means something that made this team better. Nick Bonino, not only does he have that uh, that 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 winning experience, he's a winner. He's a guy that experienced here in here in Pittsburgh. He was popular with the fans, and that feeds into it as well because he feeds off the fans. Younger teammates perhaps feed off of what he's giving out. He's not afraid to stand up and, and speak his mind. And and Sidney Crosby has great respect and friendship for Nick Benino. I think that is huge for the Penguins. And and because you're talking about that bottom six, you're, you're talking about a guy with Nick Benino who can maybe shore up that fourth line or wherever it is that they play him. Um, he's versatile. He can play all forward positions. Um, and, and he's also a guy that can, uh, uh he can kind of get tough when he needs to get tough. And that's been another question of this team. Are they tough enough? You know, there was, um, the question of who's going to come to Sid's defense and, um, again, different, you know, and, and, and maybe, uh, Kulikov will, will bring that as well. My buddy, Phil Bork likes to say he brings a little jam and, and in addition to, you know, the veteran leadership and uh, on the blue line, um, I think that that's important for the pen pens. You need those talented players. They obviously have their, that, that core at the top that leads this team, but you need the secondary scoring. You need some toughness. You need experience at front and, and, and leadership in it and not necessarily from those three at the top. I think Nick Benino brings that. I I'm, I'm really, really uh, from a, from a uh, analysis standpoint, I'm really, uh, thinking that that was a great move for the Penguins to bring Benino back. Albie, I don't want to keep you too long, but I do want to ask you, you've been there, you've been on the ice for cup-clinching games, uh, the the immediate post-game aftermath of, you know, Nashville, San Jose, Detroit. Um, you've had a long-storied career covering not just the Penguins, but Pittsburgh sports in general. And so I had to ask you, what is your favorite moment? When you look back on this Crosby Malkin Latang era in particular, your favorite moment watching these three in the three Stanley Cup runs that they've had. Um, I'm gonna I think I think the most recent the, the back to backs were were great. I, I think they were they were awesome. I think that uh, that kind of clinched what these three have meant. Um, in particular these three. Um, and you know clinching their legacy, if you will. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, and, and believe me, I have great memories of both of those cups, tremendous memories. Um, uh, I, I think, and one of them is, one of them is on the wall behind me with Sid in the cup. And, and I think that was the most recent cup. Um, anytime you see someone like Crosby skating with the cup, that's, that's it. A, that's, it's seared in your memory. That's, that's a, that's what you remember in 50 years or a hundred years, mm-hmm. you, you, those moments. Um, I think 09 seeing Sid celebrate the cup for the first time is what will stand out for me. Um, and, and Chris, there are so many and, and, and you know, I, I would not discount the other two cups that Sid has won, but that first cup, I remember the look on his face and, and at the time, he looked looking back when I look at pictures, when I look at video, Sid looked so young when right. he won the 09. And that particular season, Dan Bilesma jumped on board. Um, to me, that was an amazing run. 
and I'll, I'll tell you why it was an amazing run for more than just what you're thinking. Um, the Steelers win the Super Bowl on Channel 11 in February. Mm-hmm. Four months later, the Penguins win the Stanley Cup on Channel 11. And seeing them, and, and I remember my conversation, my interview with Dan Bilesma, I said, where did you watch the Super Bowl that year? Where did you watch the Steelers win the Super Bowl? And did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that four months later you would be coaching the Penguins to the Stanley Cup? And I think that struck him as it really brought home what they had done that year. I mean, that was a team right. that, that was struggling. Um, and, and Sid at that time was obviously looking for his first cup. And for all the great things he did in his first few years, that was that was what that's why you play. That's what he was waiting for. And seeing, uh, you know, being 20 feet away from from uh, Mario Lemieux and getting that cup from Sid or, you know, sharing the cup with Sid is such an incredible memory for me. I, I think that uh, Anytime someone wins the cup for the first time, uh, the, the joy on their face. And you can see these guys. I mean, you got veterans who have played in the league sometimes for 15 years and they've never won the cup. Um, some guys don't even advance and they don't even advance in the playoffs. And when you see them, they finally win the cup. You can you can actually read their eyes. You can read the look in their faces. They're, they they they're, they're saying to themselves, oh, my gosh, this is this is everything I've always dreamed of. And and. I, I just think that 09 was so fun for a lot of reasons for that being at the top of the list. Well, See, and that, and that question uh, that you asked Dan Biles, but too, Albie is, you know, he was probably sitting in Wilkes-Barre at the time when he watched the Super Bowl that year, because it would have been February and they didn't, they, or he would have just gotten a, just arrived to Pittsburgh. I would think, you know, right around that time where he replaced Michelle Terry in that year. And then they went on that run. So that's, that's just a, that's a, a fantastic way to put it in perspective for, for not just him, but probably everybody that was watching that interview too. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, I talk about the look on Sid's face and cause I, I remember, I can remember Sid's, I can remember the look in his eyes. I mean, just, he, he, he was, it was all new to him. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and, oh, the, 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 at that time they do it differently now, but at that time in 09, we were allowed uh, in the locker room, you know, during their cup celebration. Now, they they do it on the ice and and mm-hmm. to my knowledge i i don't believe that the locker room is now you know they bring them out to the podium now right uh, but in terms of capturing the sheer emotion of what's going on we had a um at channel 11 we had a wireless camera with a wireless microphone and even though that was only uh 14 years ago that was a big deal at the time the other stations were outside uh, and sitting in director's chairs outside joe lewis arena we had a wireless uh, camera and a wireless microphone, and we we were underneath the the bleachers at Joe Lewis Arena, direct from from me to my camera right here. That's how far away we were from the bench, and and we we watched it from right behind the bench. Them, you know, celebrating the cup, and you know Crosby or Flurry, excuse me, making that you know that incredible final moments there and the save and 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 they just went crazy and we literally were there as they went onto the ice and i had been you know i uh was with the penguins when they won the the cup in 92 
Um, and you know, I, I, that was of course, Mario's second cup. And, um, but every cup's been different. You know, when the Penguins won their first cup, um, I remember the excitement afterwards with, with Lemieux and, and, you know, some of the other, some of his other teammates for sure, but Lemieux in particular, um, because that was 91 was his first cup. And I remember Mm -hmm. that look and, and 92, um, it was, it was a different look in Lemieux's eyes. He certainly was excited, but he was, uh, it was almost like he knew that they had something very special going on. And, and then fast forward to 2009, um, the look in Sid's eyes, it was that same look again, like, Oh my gosh, I'm a Stanley cup champion. This is why, this is why I play and, and why I've dedicated my whole life to this. Well, then when the pens won their cup in, in 16, that same look that Mario had maybe in 92, I saw in Sid's eyes. Sid was a little bit more, um, you know, he had been there before. But he didn't right. any less, but he knew what to expect when he lit, when he hoisted that cup. And then, of course, the third cup um, was, was again, just as, just as celebratory, but, but maybe um, part of the clinching of his legacy, if you will. So, hey, yeah. they're, all, they're all fun. I love covering the cups. Um, I hope, you know, I hope the Pens have a deep run. And do they have a deep run in them? I, I don't know what you, wh- what are your feelings on that? I, yeah. I don't want I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if it's this year, but I, I do think you've got to find a way to not waste any more of the, the, the big threes peak years. And I think we're seeing, you know, this year statistically has been some of the best work ever by age 35, age 36 year old players, even in league history, forget franchise history. So um, I think with those three continuing to produce at this level, you got to make the most of it. And you're running out of time to do that because I'd like to, to be to be, to be totally honest, Albie, I'd like to see you out there chasing Sidney Crosby down on the ice one more time while he's carrying the cup around. You know, that's that's, that's a memory. That's a memory too. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I hope there's one more run in there, and uh, I think with as long as those three are still at this level that they're at right now, um, they're capable of doing it. They just got to surround them with the right pieces, and and that's why it's uh, it's it's disappointing to see that they haven't quite found that blend this year. But we'll see. We'll see if they've got one more in them. You know, I uh, I mentioned Boston earlier, and I you know I I do feel confident, Chris, that the Pens will clinch that eight you know that second wild card spot at least. Um, but but you know then you have to deal with the Boston Bruins, and and what the Bruins are doing this year is historic. They are, uh, you know, I was kidding with Borky uh, uh, yesterday that that when the goalies scoring goals, you know that this is something very special. Uh, Boston is dominating. And they are, they are, without question, the team that everybody points to as the, the favorite to win this cup. Not only the favorite to win this cup, but the overwhelming favorite to win the cup. However, Tampa Bay a couple of years ago was pretty good. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you get into a series where teams, where things go really well for those types of dominant teams throughout the season. They don't always have the the trials and tribulations of a team that's fighting to get there. You know, you're, you're winning so many games and you're dominating and that, and everybody looks at you at this as a Stanley cup favorite, even when the se- the regular season's still going on, you, you just assume this is going to cruise. And, you know, then Tampa, Tampa Bay, same deal. They get into the playoffs and all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, what just happened? Right. You know, we're, we're gone. We're headed home. The, the Penguins in, in 93, 
um, you know, the, the old curse of the President's Cup. And, and I think that, you know, sometimes if you if, if you have too much excellence during the regular season, it doesn't always carry over. I'm not suggesting that that won't happen with Bo- that, that that will happen with Boston. They're really good. But, you know, you never know. And I think if the pen if the pens can just get there, um, Carolina would be an easier first round series for sure. Um, but, but if they have to deal with Boston, you never know, you never know. And you play the games and if they get to that point, who knows, if they get past that, who knows, maybe they can get to the conference final. Um, I don't know, you know, who's good in the West. Is it Colorado? Is it Vegas? Who's the best? I don't, that's a tough question, but just put yourself in a position, um, the, the pens, and I know we're probably running short on time, so I'll, I'll try to be quick. The pens of course have this long playoff streak, this long postseason streak. Um, that everybody talks about. Can they get in the playoffs again? 17 straight years. Um, well, you know, there's also this streak of being eliminated in the first round and that they'd like to kind of flush from their system and, they, mm-hmm. and they, they'd like to get past that. Um, uh, that gets back to the expectation thing. I don't think that there's real high expectations for this team from the fans. And I think when you look at it critically, any team with Sidney Crosby and any team with Evgeny Malkin, and if any team who gets some semblance of solid goaltending can win the cup. Um, I mean, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. Sid and, and, and Gino are, are two of the best players in the history of hockey. Sid is at the very top. He's at the very top. And uh, he's a winner. He's competitive. And he's super prideful. And because of all that, I, I'm, I'm not going to ever write this team off. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And, and we'll see what happens. But just get there. Yeah, that's the start. Get just get there, and then and then see what happens from there. Albie, thanks so much for taking the time today, man. I really do appreciate it. It's been great to catch up with you, and uh, maybe we can do it again once they're in the playoffs and the playoffs get started. If they last you know, long enough, would love that. I'll, I'll count on you to to reach out because I will uh, I will look forward to that. I enjoy talking. Hey, we could go for another hour. I know we, we can. <laughs> maybe during the you know what if the playoffs don't go as long as we want them to, I may need you for for a solid hour at some point this summer to talk about where they're going. So thanks again for the time, Albie. I appreciate it, man. Anytime, my friend. We'll see you soon. Great to catch up with Albie, and uh, we'll hold him to it. Uh, whether the playoffs last as long as we want them to or not we'll get Albie back in here to help us figure out where the pens go from here once the season is over hopefully in a positive direction effusively positive is brian metzer no seriously he is penguins radio network host you catch him during intermissions of pens game uh pens games on the radio he joins me next right here on fifth avenue faceoff Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Wherever you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe. You'll get them as soon as they're ready to go for you. This one uh, includes Brian Metzer, intermission and post-game host on the Penguins Radio Network. And I said effusively positive, Mets, because you do. You find you find the silver lining in the clouds. That's why we need you right now, the way things have gone up and down with this team. So thanks for making the time. How are you? 
I'm good. It's great to be here with you, my friend. You know, we we don't often get to to talk pucks these days, but we go way back in talking hockey together. And yes, fun to fun to take part in this with you. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Albie Oxenrider and I were just talking about that 2009 Cup, and without getting too nostalgic and waxing too poetic about uh, Sidney Crosby's first Cup, he mentioned talking to Dan Bilesma on the ice that night after the win in Detroit. And I said, you know what? He had asked him, asked Bilesma, you know, where'd you watch the Super Bowl? Because the Steelers had just won the Super Bowl a couple months previous to that. And I said, he was probably in Wilkes-Barre at that point in time. And here you are, Johnny on the spot with the details of exactly where Dan <laughs> Bilesma was in February of 2009. Well, I can't tell you which pub or tavern he was in, but he would have probably <laughs> still been sitting in Wilkes watching it on February 1st of 09. And then he arrived in Pittsburgh just after Valentine's Day. Uh, ready to take the Penguins on a pretty historic run because, you know, that that season, Chris, is one that you can kind of look at when you're looking for silver linings simply mm-hmm. because they were out of the playoffs in February, which it's is right. just unheard of. And then they rip off the winning that they did and they made the trade to get Chris Kunitz, et cetera, and the rest is history. However, I don't think anybody dreamed uh, whenever Dan was hired that that's how it would play out. No, no, I don't think, uh, you know, we, we had just seen them uh, lose to the Red Wings the year before, and it felt like it was going to be more of an up and down roller coaster kind of ride, maybe through the early years of the Crosby Malkin era. And instead, they stepped on the gas and immediately launched themselves uh, to the first Stanley Cup uh, in 17 years for the franchise. I don't know if at that point, though, they, even that young team, we're playing as poorly within the division as this team is right now. <laughs> One, eight, and three against other Metro playoff teams right now. Carolina, Jersey, the Rangers, and the Isles. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of that other than the fact that this team, I mean, I think of Metro division hockey, and they'll play a bunch this weekend. Uh, Flyers aren't in playoff position, but it's still Metro division hockey. I think of Metro division hockey as the kind of that where you've got to buckle down You've got to play good, smart, responsible hockey. And that's something that has just continued to evade this team. I don't know how or why, but it's they just cannot find the consistency, Mets. And I don't know from your perspective what's causing it, but they've got to figure it out between now and the middle of April. Well, they're just a horrible or they're they're horrible at defending this year. I've never seen a Mike Sullivan coach team be so bad in their own zone as this one has been. Uh, They'll have numbers back. There's bodies available. It's not as if they're always odd man situations, which they've hemorrhaged quite a few of those, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there are times where a play comes into the zone and they have five penguins back and they can't defend. They they stand around and puck watch and find themselves watching a play develop right in front of their eyes and then kind of put their goaltender at risk. Now, the goalies could be making a few more saves than they've made as well, but I feel like this team is just not defended well. They specifically can't close games out well. They've blown more third period leads this year than I can ever remember under Mike Sullivan. And when you look at the situation, um, it, it's a team now that is the worst under Sully going 24 and five when they go to the third period with a lead, which I mean, essentially that's 13 points they've left on the table. And if they had picked those up, they would be ahead of the Rangers and breathing down the neck of the New Jersey Devils. So, the, you know, you know, under him, Chris, they used to always find ways to get to the third period of, even if it was a one goal hockey game or they were up by two, especially if they were up by two, like they were right. last night, you would not see them blow that game. They would find a way to close it out. They would limit the, whoever they were playing to maybe five shots, three shots, single digit shots. You give up 13 to the Islanders. You give up two goals in four minutes and 14 seconds. 
Next thing you know, you give them a point first of all, and then you give them two points whenever you lose in overtime. So it's just, to me, a, a matter of their depth has been exposed. I know they tried to add to it a little bit here, but they just, they just don't defend well. And I don't think they're getting the goaltending that necessarily you need to be a championship club. No knock on Tristan Jari, who's played pretty pretty solid at times this season. But I don't think uh, Casey DeSmith really did his job when he stepped in as the backup this year. Yeah, and, and it's what made Hextall's moves at the deadline that much more curious. Like I understood they needed to, to do something with the bottom half of the forward lineup, with the third and fourth lines. Totally yeah. on board with, with doing what you can. And was it trying to cover up past mistakes by waving Kapanen and McGinn? Sure, I get it. But he, to, to his credit, I, I like bringing in Benino. I like that move. Talked about that plenty with Albie a couple minutes ago. Um, Kulikov, okay. I, I like adding depth to the left side, especially if he were playing in place of a Brian Dumoulin rather than in place of a Pierre Olivier Joseph. I'd rather see him in the lineup still. But what what was so confusing to me was the Grandland move because the Grandland move doesn't add any more jam or if you want to call it that, any more grit. Um, sure, it, it provides something maybe for your middle six, but it's also a $5 million a year contract on the books for the next two years which makes it a whole lot harder to sign the guy who I think has been the biggest spark plug for this team this year in Jason Zucker. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And now you can, if you wanted to look at the one other tiny sliver of silver lining with the Grandland, it's that he and Zucker have a good relationship and were line right. mates for many years in Minnesota. And if you were trying to lure him into staying, you still have 20 plus million dollars available this summer, counting Grandland's contract being on the books. So you have a little bit of latitude there and maybe you say, Hey, this coming season, maybe you play on a line with your buddy. Now that said, right. I, I couldn't agree more with you though. If you wanted to get tougher and you wanted to get more of a blue collar approach to your bottom six, that's not Mikhail Grandland. I mean, this guy brings a little bit of speed based on the fact that he can get behind the defense. The Penguins witnessed that firsthand the night before they acquired him, mm-hmm. which I was kind of chuckling, thinking to myself, did they do it because of that? Right. And, and I saw people be critical of the speed and say, well, he doesn't really skate fast anymore, Matt. So I said, well, he's certainly faster than everybody on the black and gold right now. I mean, he beat them to a man. <laughs> I mean, exactly. That's what was kind of funny. But he... I, I, you're right. He doesn't bring the jam. He brings a little bit of offensive upside, which is lesser than it had been earlier in his career. That said, he's a guy that's capable of scoring double digit goals. He's a great playmaker. And the one thing I was hoping would happen is that you would see him potentially. And they finally did this last night by shifting Jeff Carter to the wing, taking him out of the center position because he just simply can't do it effectively anymore. He's been a great player in his career, but he's not doing it right now. Grandland could feasibly feed him and maybe unlock him a little bit because he can still shoot the puck a lot. He, he takes a lot of shots still. Most nights he's, you look at the score sheet, he hasn't done much, but he has three shots on goal somehow inexplicably. So maybe this guy could be unlocked by a Grandland. But to your point, he's not tough really. He's easy to knock around. He's short. He, he's not a big man. Um, and so I don't know that it really adds to what you were doing. Now, I think he and Benino taking the spots of Brock McGinn and Casper Kapanen is certainly an upgrade on those two particular players. Right. But you really didn't gain a ton there, even though Benino can kill penalties so effectively. And he has that leadership quality. And as Sully would tell you, he's a cerebral player and all of this kind of thing. But I, I just... I, I tried to look at the Grandland deal after the fact as, okay, why did they find him attractive? What could he bring to the table? 
But the fact that they cleared cap space the way that they did and then utilized it to pick up that particular player was a big-time head-scratcher for me. Yeah, it just didn't add up at the time. And even now, in retrospect, even when you point out some of the, the positives that could exist there, as you just did, um, it, it still makes you wonder if all of those moves were necessary to pick up well, they came they too did. late, too, Chris. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. You can't wait till the week of the trade deadline to make those decisions because it, you have to wait 24 hours to even know if you're going to get your cash freed up. And if you listen to a lot of our, you know, reporting buddies in the city, they'll tell you that he had a really realistic chance at getting a Jacob Chikrin had he freed up cap space earlier. And that didn't happen. And obviously, Arizona couldn't wait anymore. And they pulled the trigger on a deal because the price had been dropping all week long. And instead, uh, Ronnie uh, Hextall was not prepared with his money. So also, it was, regardless of how he did it, that was maddening enough. But you waited too long. I mean, those two guys were essentially anemic all season. You knew it wasn't going to work out. Right. And they waited until the witching hour. Yeah, that's what killed them is if they're more aggressive with those Kapanen and McGinn maneuvers, they've got the ability to go after something earlier. Yep. Uh, although, again, it sounded like Hextall was trying to wait until the very last minute for prices to drop. And they did in some cases, but it, mm-hmm. it, when, you, when, you, when your goal is to win a cup, when, when you're trying to maximize what's left of the big three and their era together, I think you got to be more aggressive. Um, they do have uh, three against the Rangers in the next uh, seven days or so. They've got the Flyers coming to town. Um, and so it got me to thinking, look, the, when the Flyers are off, the rivalry doesn't quite feel the same as when the Flyers are at the top of their game. And there's certainly a lot more juice between the Pens and the Rangers because of last year's playoff series. So which of these two teams do you think Pens fans hate more? Good old-fashioned sports hate. Which of these two do Pens fans look at right now and they just grind their teeth when they see the Flyers or the Rangers skate into town? I think regardless of where they are in the standings, it's always going to be the the Flyers Mm -hmm. (laughs) to a certain extent just because, as I often say, cross-state hate. When you play the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Flyers and 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 it's the Penguins and they go head to head, I heard Albie mention you know the old two niner. If you ask Forky, he would say the Flyers every time, probably <laughs> because he was in so many rivalry games with them and went through that losing streak against them, which you and I remember growing up here in the city. I mean that oh, yeah. was just wretched to watch. Um, so I, I think it's always going to be the Flyers, though the Rangers with all of those playoff battles in more recent years certainly earned a little bit of that hate but in knocking the penguins out of the playoffs in the first round and marty st louis mom dying and giving Mm -hmm. them the strength to kind of come back and beat the penguins when they were on the cusp of elimination i think those things agitate but uh i would even put the islanders ahead of the rangers though whenever i'm talking hate uh more so than saying i don't know that it's hate with the rangers so much as it it is a rivalry for sure but i would rank in, in terms of true hate flyers and islanders i think well, let me ask you this. Uh, they're behind the Islanders now, only by two points in the standings, and they've got those three games in hand, although games in hand don't mean anything if you don't win them. Um, but they don't have any games in hand on, say, for example, the Senators, or just one game in hand on the Panthers, who they're only four points ahead of now, Ottawa and Florida. Yeah. So that being said, do they end up hanging on for one of these final two playoff spots or not? Well, teams for the longest time this season kept letting them off the hook. I mean, there were times the Penguins could have been waved down the, the standings and Ottawa was losing some games. Florida lost some games. The Caps obviously lost some games and they're still kind of hanging in, even though they did a lot of selling. But the fact now that the Islanders have heated up, they're going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, they're going to start to pull away a little bit. 
Ottawa, if you watched any of the Trade Center a week ago uh, from TSN, because it was available on ESPN Plus and some other things, they all but anointed the the Senators, not as cup winners this year, but they said they feel like a team of destiny. And they kind of do a little bit the way that they've heated up, but they're down Talbot again in goal. So that might help. They have Mad Sogard playing some games and um, they'll probably have to shuffle goaltenders a little bit, which could be their undoing. But even that said, they, they have all that young talent. Brady Kachuk is such an awesome player. Uh, they got the Brinkett there, who we all remember from his days playing in Erie and, and just being such a dynamic forward. He's scoring a ton of goals for them. So I think that if the Penguins don't right the ship a little bit here, they could be in some trouble. And when you look at them, Chris, they really only have the 14-2-2 stretch this year that makes them look like a team that could go on some kind of run. Other than right. that, they've largely been a, a 500-type team all season long and had these stretches of a six-game losing streak or a seven-game losing streak, which is unheard of under Sullivan. So when you when you say it all that way, it's easy to see a, a path where they do not make a wild-card spot. However, I know Albie said it, and, and we all talk about it in the city, when you have Sidney Crosby playing at the level he is and Evgeny Malkin playing at the level he is, I think that they could almost will the Penguins to win enough games to get in, which I feel like you still need probably 23, 20, 22 points to get in, which isn't going to be easy in what the 18 games that they have left. So this is uh, there's not a lot of runway left. They left a lot on the table coming up to this point. The 13 points I mentioned in the blown third period leads is going to bite them in the backside. But all that said, I, I still kind of feel like, if for no other reason than to screw my off-season concert plans, that they will try and make the playoffs here. They know how to stick it to you every spring, Mets. Uh, but we get some hockey out of the deal, so it's an even trade-off, I think. Thanks yeah, for making exactly. the time today, man. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, we'll keep an eye on on how things progress here during what is a huge week. Like I mentioned, the three Rangers games, wrapping up this five-game homestand. And then you, you start to turn the page of the calendar to the following week, and there's that Ottawa Senator, that pesky Ottawa Senators team sitting there as well. So we'll listen yeah. to you uh, on the Penguins Radio Network, and uh, we'll keep up with your vision of how things should play out here down the stretch as well. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on, brother. And uh, even though we're on different sides of the pond here, I listen to you guys an awful lot. Keep up the great work. I always enjoy it in the mornings, and I follow along with your podcast and everything. So thanks for having me and let me be a part of it. It's been a while, so it was awesome. Yeah, same here, man. I listen to you whenever I'm in the car and and can't be at home to watch the game. So uh, keep up the great work, and we'll catch up again soon. You too, my friend. Thanks again for this. Great stuff, as always, from Mets. Brian Metz or the Penguins Radio Network. Uh, He makes a good point about the math involved in this thing. If the Penguins continue to blow third period leads the way they have all year, especially to the teams that are left on their schedule, we're going to be, we're going to be talking about a team that's fighting and scratching and clawing just to get into the playoffs. Now, again, just get in and then we'll see what happens. But man, if they slide sideways, if they fishtail their way into the Eastern conference playoffs, I don't know how long things will last we get a perspective from the other side of the state the flyers are coming to town the flyers are a mess the flyers just fired their gm but they're still the flyers and so we'll get a perspective from the other side of the state natalie eganoff joins me next on fifth avenue faceoff Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff.
Welcome back in another edition of Fifth Avenue Faceoff as the Pens get ready for uh, an old Patrick Division weekend. Flyers come to town on Saturday. Rangers on Sunday, the first of those three games against the Rangers in seven days. Lucky enough to be joined by Natalie Eganoff from the Lipstick League podcast. She's all over Philly. She's got it covered. Yeah. It's... I'm, I'm uh, not. Right. We're not supposed. We're not supposed <laughs> to be nice to each other, Natalie. So I don't know how to handle this. Well, you know what? I think we can both commiserate right now because okay. you know I was listening to you guys talk prior to me hopping on, and you know you're talking about the rivalry, or, and you're talking about you know Crosby mm-hmm. and Malkin, and I'm thinking about you know that heyday about now, 13 years ago, that yeah. 2010 period where. You know, the Flyers were at their peak. They had like the Mike Richards era and right. the Penguins. And it was just this this battle every time that the teams played each other. And now it's like these are two organizations that, you know, have been led by Ron Hextall. You know, when we look at his moves over the years and, you know, there's a lot of uh, change here in Philly. I, they still haven't figured it out. I feel like since that pivotal era in 2010, the last time they really made a run for the cup and it's like, here we are 13 years out from that now. And it's unbelievable that we're still seeing this turnover and that, you know, right. they fired Chuck Fletcher this morning and, you know, Danny Breyer's at the helm, who is at this point, I think you could consider a legacy flyer, right? But yeah. at the same time, it's a very safe flyers move. They always bring somebody in who had that flyer shield on their chest at one point or another to kind of take that home. And he's what I'm hearing in real consideration for the GM job. They're going to separate president. They're going to separate GM, but it's a wild time here in Philadelphia hockey. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the heyday of like the two, the, the 2010 through 2012 period. Cause Danny Briere is still offside from the 2012 series. No way. No way. <laughs> no way. And I, I do, I do this because you, you know, I don't know if, uh-huh. really, if they're going to see this, you know, his famous. Yeah. Pump the fist pump. Like that was uh-huh. the time. That was the fist pump of I got away with being offside. That's exactly no way, what that was. No way. <laughs> so let me share that series. Let's commiserate about Ron Hextall here. Um, misunderstood, or maybe he still is somehow Mr. Right for this team. Um, I we've all heard about the mistakes that were made in Philly. Yeah. And, and to be honest, Chuck Fletcher really seemed to follow in his footsteps a good bit in that they weren't willing to admit to those mistakes soon enough. Um, and that's been part of the problem with Hextall here is that. You know, he didn't admit to the mistake of giving Kapanen uh, a contract extension this offseason soon enough. He didn't admit to the mistake of giving Jeff Carter an extension uh, and a no-move clause. So I guess if if you could give us any sort of cautious warning about what we may see and what a lot of people hope is the last few months of the Hextall era here in Pittsburgh, just how hard is it to deal with Hextall when – he seemingly won't own up to those mistakes. Well, and, you know, I think you look at his tenure here in Philadelphia and he did have success, right? When he Mm -hmm. kind of first entered the world of hockey managerial, those front office operations, he went to the Kings and all of a sudden had this tremendous amount of success. So I think there's a part of him, he comes into the Flyers organization. And I think that that was another hope and a prayer. And again, he was so beloved here. So of course the fans loved him. Um, that, you know, we were going to kind of see him mirror the success that he had in L.A., that it didn't go that way here, right? But he kind of reminds me of one of those guys, and you guys are now watching it play out, like you just Mm. said, right? That's the problem is not owning up to it and kind of being settled in the fact that, 
these are the decisions I'm making and I think that they're right. So it sounds like he still hasn't learned that lesson of, I don't know if he's just surrounded by yes men or doesn't want to listen to the people around him who go against his opinion, because that was kind of a lot of what we heard here in Philadelphia. So it could just kind of be replicated on the other side of the state, whether again, it's who's in his ear helping him make decisions, or if he's just that adamant that, you know, it's my way or the highway. And it ended here for that reason, because that's what, that's what went down. Yeah, it's crazy because we had Jim Rutherford here before him who was almost too impatient at times. He would trade a dude (laughs) on a Tuesday morning because they didn't play well on Monday night. And now Hextall is so – he'll dig his heels in on guys. And to your point, um, it's just more of the same. You would think he'd learn from the lessons that perhaps didn't serve him well in Philly, but he's not. He's digging his heels in even more. And so here we are with Ron Hextall, you know, having – having fans chant for him to be fired during games, you know, like that's, if there's anything (laughs) Pittsburgh fans can get together on, it's chanting fire Hextall. And here we are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things and it's crazy, right? You're seeing it play out. And then you wonder if he does leave Pittsburgh, where's what's his future going to hold for him. Right. And I feel like the NHL, it's one of those businesses where it's a lot of the same turnover with guys who had success. You even look at John Tortorella, I feel like they thought that he would come in here, kind of hide the mess that the organization has been trying to hide. But when you have a front office that's so disconnected, it you know, the trickle down effect is real. The the locker room is totally disjointed, you know, and then they bring in this coach who has this really, you know, strict again, my way or the highway approach. It's like it's like you're trying to put a band-aid on a situation with somebody who's equally as hot headed as all mm-hmm. the decision makers, it's like so too many cooks, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. And I think that that's where this team just got completely lost. And it's a shame, you know, I'm thinking now I'm sitting here thinking about 2010 and I'm like, God, those were, those were the days they really right. were. How did they not build off of that? Um, so I heard you and your co-host Nicole on the lipstick league, the latest edition of your podcast. Right. Yeah. And I'm listening to you guys talk about the golden girls. Cause I guess Nicole went to like, <laughs> there's this golden girls pop-up bar that she went to and so i i don't ask me where this thought came from other than just listening to the like first half of your podcast this morning okay if ron hextall were a golden girl which one would he be this is serious hockey talk now um i feel like he wouldn't be blanche hang on let me no he's he's not he doesn't pull the sexy move enough to be no 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 hang on let me look at let me look at the golden girls real quick that's would a really be, good question. Would he be old and wise Sophia Petrillo, who's going to hit you over the of, head with his purse? I kind of think, like, he kind of reminds me that he would have that attitude as well, the yeah. same attitude as Sophia, because she, she really never, like, took any shit, you know? She kind of... Right. <laughs> like, you, like, she was she was not going to put up with it. And Hextall as a player, I think, is Sophia. I think Hextall oh. is a GM. <laughs> Hextall is a GM is Rose. Rose. <laughs> He's going to compare everything to back in St. Olaf and try to tell you about the the boy who got stuck in the windmill while he was grating cheese or some ridiculous Minnesota story. Well, and you know what's kind of funny? that It's it's that mindset, right, as we're talking about making organizational moves. And you think about the the flyers and that, that kind of mentality here in Philly where and we always hearken back to the old day and it's the Broad right. Street bullies and all this stuff. And it's 
it kind of gets to this point where it's like, we can't, we got to move forward. We need to like, let that go. So who knows? I feel like the Flyers are just a team that it's looking for a new identity and we can't be having Rangers fans come into our house like that either. No, that was, that, that was tough to watch. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you that, ask you this then, because I, br- I've, I brought it up with Brian Metzer from the Penguins radio network a couple minutes ago. Is there still the same heat between the Pens and the Flyers these days? Is there out that out, out that way anyway? I'll tell oh I, I'll tell you what I think Flyers fans forever you know will hate the Penguins respectfully and <laughs> and you know I, I think as long as Sidney Crosby's playing he's he's that player that I think the Flyers organization just has clearly everybody has wanted that white whale player that that second coming of Wayne Gretzky right. that that franchise player who's going to set the tone. And again, like you guys were saying, he's still playing at this high level, scoring that overtime goal the other night, you know, like getting still chirping at the refs, getting called out of games. Like he's still, we love competitors here in Philly, but if you're not on our team, we love to hate you. So as long as he's still playing, I, I think the fans will have something to yell about. In That's a good call. Yeah. There'll always be juice between the pens and the flyers as somebody who was, forced to hang out with Flyers fans going to Penn State and lived through the uh, the Keith Primu, Ron Tugnut game in 2000 with a bunch oh. of Flyers fans. Oh, yeah. I, uh, was that the eight overtime? Seven yeah. The, yeah this, the was it six, six, over, six overtime? I don't know. I just know it was really was late, and seven? I was still up watching the game and was stuck with a bunch of Flyers fans. So. Well, I mean, that's unfortunate for you, but I was up watching that game too, and that was what a – I, you know, I wish they never changed that rule. We could have more games like that now. <laughs> we could. We could. I'd be down for that. Natalie, right? thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it, oh, uh, especially because I asked you to do it last minute. But I thought, hey, things are going on in Philly, and we got to talk about it before the Always. Flyers come to town. So I appreciate Always. the time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Catch Natalie with the Lipstick League podcast. Good stuff. Fun, sports, pop culture, entertainment, where it all meets. Uh, she and her co-host Nicole. Um, it really is entertaining stuff, and she 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 brings the Philly side to things as we get ready for the Pens to take on the Flyers on Saturday, the Rangers on Sunday. I do have a story about uh, a Rangers-related guest, somebody from New York. We were supposed to have on, or at least I was hopeful we would have this person on uh, during this big three games between the Pens and Rangers in seven days series. Uh, I will tell you that story on Monday's episode as we'll be getting ready. We'll be looking back on game one of Penn's Rangers in seven days and ahead to uh, a game against the Canadiens on Tuesday. On Monday, uh, Stu Callen from the Montreal Gazette will check in to give us a little preview of what's going on up in Montreal. We'll catch back up with Tango as well. Thanks to Natalie Eganoff. Thanks to Brian Metzer. Thanks to Albie Oxenreiter for joining me today. Enjoy the hockey this weekend. Let's hope the Pens uh, don't do you dirty like they did against the Islanders. Maybe actually stack a couple of Metro Division wins. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating. Leave a review inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again for listening to Fifth Avenue Faceoff.